Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, Ray. Hi, Ray. Hi, Ray. To Monday matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Hi there, and welcome to episode 590 of the Sonic Society, your world's weekly showcase of modern audio theatre. I am Jack Ward. Yeah, and I'm David Old. Uh, Look, what are we doing in a bunker? Well, David, I thought it was pretty clear we're being invaded by Martians. Martians? Well, in 1899, that is, thanks to tonight's double feature from The Other 1%. And it all happens right here... On the Sonic Society. This is the story of the 13th Battalion Essex Regiment during World War I, also known as the West Ham Pals Battalion. Over a thousand ordinary men from the borough of West Ham would go on to fight in some of the most horrific and deadly battles of the First World War. These men left the terraces for the trenches, leaving behind homes, families and lovers in a noble, honourable and selfless act to protect their loved ones, their community, and the country whose values and culture they believed in. Sergeant Hitchcock, company losses? Six rates killed, nine injured, sir. We've no bombs or ammunition left, so we're spent. We have to retire. Get your men together. D Company, sir, they're on their own, shouldn't we? We can't help them. We've no use to anyone as we are, Sergeant. That's an order. Yes, sir. Don't stand there like a bunch of dummies. Quick, give me some of that ammo. Give yourself some bombs, lads. Yes, us. Give me some of those cricket balls. I want to send some botched bastards to kingdom bloody come. Christ all fucking mighty, sauce. There's thousands of the bastards. Get ready. Get ready. Wait for my order. Can we kill the bastards, sauce? Hold it. Hold it. Let them get closer. Come. Come. Fire! Proud to pick up himself some ruddy daisy, or do you believe him think? Christ, Sarge! 
Your boots have been blown oh. right off. And your socks are all blown apart. Stag, where the hell is Stag? No bloody idea, Sarge. Ain't seen him. I'll carry you out of here. Christ, fuck it! I'm sick of wiping brain and guts off my face! Crawl! Oh, One bloody turtle! Crawl, George! I'm gonna get back home. One of us has got to get back. One of us is... The Tablet Book Company presents a TBC audio production of The Bolin Brothers by Jonathan Williamson. Starring Robert Bolter as George Hancock, Jack Christiansen as Walter, Owen Bleach, Henry, Andy Cresswell, Tom, John Spore, Frank Jens, and Paul Moriarty as Sergeant Moore. Episode 1. Corporal! Corporal! Sir! If I didn't know better, I'd believe I've alighted in Shanghai, not France. Is that Chinese you're speaking? Yes, sir! Zaina Bien! Gosh. Uh, how many of these Chinese chaps are there? 150,000. Now, I can I help you, sir? I've got to unload this meat pronto, sir. Of course, of course. Where would I find the hospital ship that's returning today? Keep following your feet, sir. They're already taking you in the right direction. Here are my orders, Captain, to get some accounts. I can read, Lieutenant Fairweather. Good God! Has the Army nothing better to do? The Ministry thought it important to... Yes, yes! Go ahead. Be prudent. Don't upset them. This is a hospital ship, remember? These men are terribly wounded. Yes, sir. Ah, hello, Sergeant. Uh, yes, sir. On your way home, back to Blighty. Hope so, sir. Hope so. Last time I returned from leave, I saw a hospital ship blown to Kingdom Come as it left this port. All those injured men drowning and burning to death in the flames. Well, I pray that doesn't happen. You look like you're in one nice healthy piece. You seen any action, or are you one of those reserved occupations, sir? Yes, Sergeant. Those in charge felt my talents lay elsewhere. <laughs> talents? The lads from my battalion had talent. A talent for having their bodies torn apart by bullets and bombs and other assorted savagery. Look, Sergeant, the Ministry thought it important... Have, have you got a coffin now? Uh, a... a gasper. Uh, a cigarette. Oh, uh, yes, yes, I, I do. Uh... Tom. Oh, that's quality tobacco. The Ministry thought it important that we record some honest accounts of soldiers in the thick of it. What are you after? 
Well, what I'm after is first-hand accounts. Something from the field of battle. Uncensored. Much more informing than any of the letters you sent home. Full of truth. Were you one of Kitchener's army? A volunteer? Yeah. A Powers Battalion. West Ham Powers Battalion, 13th Essex. 13th Essex? I heard you took it hard just now. Can you give me some... Can you give me the realities, Sergeant? Real pictures, the real stuff. Look, sir, my view ain't the grand view. Right? It, it isn't the battles and victories on a map. It's the grisly, grubby mess of it. Our view is far, far different from the brass hats, okay? It's, it's a shapeless, confused, purposeless horror. Do you know there were stray dogs around the villages and trenches? Like cats and dogs, mainly, but you name it. Rats, bloody massive rats, as big as kittens and bold as you like. Sometimes I'd look out over no man's land and you'd see these stray dogs looking for something to eat, to keep alive. These dogs, they'd lost their homes and families. I watched them and I thought about their struggles to survive. If they found something to eat, God knows what, they'd start to fight over it. Two once-civilised dogs fighting to survive in the mud and the filth. I like that, Sergeant. How did it start for you? Oi! Henry! George! Hang on, wait up! Hang on, George. It's Tom and Walter. Come on, you twonkers. I want to get to the pub before I'm having to fight my way to the bar. All right, George. Hey, it's a happy day when we came Portsmouth for three. <laughs> Jesus, I thought that ref was never going to blow that whistle. I bet he was bung some shekels to add some extra minutes on. <laughs> hey, lads. Yeah, you. You don't want to miss out on the adventure, do you? What adventure is that, then? The war, Sonny. Heard about it? Oh, there's a war on, is there? I was wondering why you're dressed up like that. <laughs> <laughs> Here, take these. There's a recruitment office opening on the Mile End Road. It's a pals battalion. You'll be amongst all your mates. Hey, you think I want to spend more time with these numpties? Oi, <laughs> fuck you, George. Here, give us one of those leaflets. You're a decent lad. Knock some sense into your funny pal. <laughs> oh, plenty have tried, but has it made the blindest bit of difference? <laughs> <laughs> Waving that bloody paper in my face, will ya? Don't know what the hell you're trying to read a paper for, anyway. Shut up, George. Yeah, give it here, then. Right. County Borough of West Ham, 13th Service Battalion, Essex Regiment, West Ham. No gas bag invasion shall alarm us. True manhood... True manhood? It... That's something I know about. <laughs> True manhood <laughs> will win, exclamation mark. Join your friends in a West Ham battalion who have already enlisted. Men resident in the borough are being billeted at home. Allowance, two shillings a day. Immediate equipment. Henry Dyer, mayor. How about it, lads? Hey. Soldiers. Us, you're kidding. We've been the soldiers for mugs. Three meals a day? Yeah, bacon and eggs for breakfast is what I yeah. Yeah, you get paid too, two shillings. Paid. Paid to do whatever they say. March here, march there. Die here, die there. Paid to have your true manhood taken off, mate. Hey, Emery, you wouldn't want that, would you? They say it's going to be over by Christmas. Christmas, my arse. You're a fritz, Walter. Did you forget? 
You don't want to be out here killing your cousins. I'm British-born. Near enough. This is my country, too. Yeah, and you get a uniform. Oh, Christ, bleeding idiots. The only uniforms you'll be wearing are wooden overcoats. Look here. Harry Champion's playing at the Empire tonight in support of the brave recruits of the West Ham Battalion. Not Harry, too. Just a couple of weeks ago, my poor old Uncle Bill went to kick the bucket and he left me in his will. The other night I toddled round to see me on the game. She said to me, your uncle's left to you, he's watching chain. I put it on right across my vest. Thought I looked the dandy as it dangled on my chest. Just a flash it off, I think I'm walking round about. The kids, they all ran after me and they all began to shout. Any old iron, any old iron, any, any, any old iron. You're going to let them go off without you? That's low, George. Bloody hell is he? That's going a bit bloody far, isn't it? Get up that office and sign up now. Why does no one else get it? Don't you understand? It's war. If Henry goes out there to France, he might be killed. That's what happens to soldiers in war. People shoot at you. They want to kill you. Of course I bloody know that. I need you there looking after my little brother for me. Look, I know you two are tight. And you've always looked out for Henry after your mum died. Forget trying to sign me up. You've got to stop him from signing up. That is the only way you know he's going to be safe. Come here. Get off. Henry's doing the right thing and so should you be. What kind of pal are you? I'm sorry, mate, but... Izzy says she don't want you to come round anymore. Not for now, anyway. Yeah, yeah, I could see that coming. Like night follows day. She'll get over it, George. I don't know about that. And God have mercy on anyone she turns her anger on. <laughs> yeah, mate. God help them. God help you. Is it all official? Have you taken the King's shilling? Yeah. Yesterday. There's going to be a parade next Sunday. Oh, a parade? Look, whatever anyone says, we're still mates. And what are people saying? Well, forget about that. Listen, I heard tomorrow you're going to be unloading from a certain ship and there's a certain cargo that a certain person I know might be interested in, shall we say, acquiring? Interested? What are you offering? <laughs> It'll be worth it. Jesus Christ, is he? Hello, Henry. What are you seeing with that chicken for? There you are, girls. That's what a human chicken looks like. Yeah, come and look. Shut the hell up, you stupid cow. Tom, what the hell are you doing here? Couldn't let you parade without me, could I? <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding! <laughs> Come on, lads. We've still got time to make it back for the charity match.
bollocks. What a woeful game. Here we go. Four points. What? George, that ain't like you. Not like we got anything to celebrate. I don't know. How about we celebrate the end of the war? And may the four of us be back here next year having a good old pint and moaning about the footy. I'll drink to that. Cheers. 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 Hmm? Watch out. Here comes Izzy. George, I knew you wouldn't desert him. I knew it. Come here. Is he? Oh, come on, what's wrong with you? Not here, in the pub. Don't be stupid. Kiss me. <laughs> Assistant Adjutant Frank Jens. The War Diary of the 13th Battalion, the Essex Regiment. Purham Down Camp, Andover. November 17, 1915. The battalion, which included 26 officers and 869 other ranks, proceeded to Ludgersall Station, where they entrained for Folkestone Harbour Station, arriving at 12 noon. The battalion then embarked on the Princess Victoria for Boulogne, which port was reached at 6pm. December 10, 1915. B Company, under Major W. H. Winthrop, and C Company under Captain J.W. Patterson proceeded to the trenches. Oh Christ, it was another day of freezing rain and sleet. Stopping was the worst thing. Then you sweat, it gets cold, like really cold. So you, you want to keep moving. As we move forward, any colour was drained from the landscape. It, it was either mud brown or grey. Now we were getting a smell of what the war was really about. 20 miles back down the road, you'd hardly know it was going on. We stamped through what was once a village. I mean, it looked like a giant had taken a ruddy great club to it and for good bloody measure set the remains on fire. Some of the lads, they were itching for a stab at Fritz, but not me. I didn't want to play soldiers. For all that talk about the war being over by Christmas, it hadn't happened. And here we were, tramping up this road to... Well, we had no idea. Hit the ground! All right, lads, get yourselves up. It's no time to stop for a flipping picnic, is it? Keep it together. Keep moving. OK, lads. We're going to split you up into smaller groups. What is that, Sergeant? So as few of us will cop it if Fritz gets us with one of his heavies. Right, Hitchcock, your group, follow me. We're heading up through the communication trenches. Come on, lads. Oi, Walter, get a move on. Yeah. That rain kept on coming. I mean, it got in everywhere. First of all, we walked across the wooden duckboards, which they weren't so bad. Then we stepped into the communication trench. How did I feel? As any normal bloke would feel. You can't be prepared for anything like this, not really. For all that training we had, nothing prepares you for the reality of it. The filth, the wet, the mud, the noise. It's the uncertainty of it all.
Jesus Christ, my flipping boot's been sucked off. Now we knew we were well and bloody truly in the front line, dragging our feet for a foot and a half of muddy water. Oi, lads, make a space. Wounded coming through. Lance Corporal Swinnerton, minutes into his frontline experience, he gets hit by shrapnel. Stumbling past us, his coat and face was just covered in blood. He was shaking, he was nervous. I can tell you, seeing him like that gave us all the bleeding jitters, didn't it? Here we are, gentlemen, at your lovely new holiday camp. Make yourselves at home. Hey, Sarge, ain't so bad. You never been to South End on a Saturday night? Blimey, it's a place of real carnage. <laughs> <laughs> now, South End is rather dear to my heart, Private Price, seeing as it was where my dear old mum and dad went on their honeymoon. And, well, I know you'll be sad to hear that if it weren't for that weekend... Oh, oh, God. You wouldn't all be having the pleasure of my company right now. Know what I mean? I'm sorry, Sarge, to belittle a place of such historical importance. Yeah, you'll be sorry, Price. You're on my sap trench list. <laughs> yeah, nice one, Pricey. And, Price, much as it might please me never to have to hear your voice again, keep your stupid head down or you'll get it blown off by some Fritz sniper. You don't want to be a notch on some Fritzy's rifle butt. All right? Every hour, one of us had to go do guard duty in a sap which was like a short trench that ran out into no man's land. And you'd have to keep watch through a periscope to see if Fritz was sneaking up on us to do some damage. Yeah, George, some tea. Oh, nice warm water. Oh my God, something warm. That feels so good on me hands. Total brass monkeys, mate. What about Henry, Tom? Can you believe it, asleep. Lucky bastard, sleep of the innocent. Well, maybe not in Emery's case. Can't sleep? Oh, sleep, no chance. Not with me bum aching from all the arse clenching since I got there. Yeah, I nearly shat my pants when that first shell came down. Have you been to the lab yet? No. My advice? Don't. It's just a plank of wood over... Psst. Psst. What the hell? Pricey? Yeah, yeah, get in here. Come on, water. Jesus. Come on, I can hear Fritz. I can hear him talking. Take a gander through the periscope. You see anything out there? They're trying to sneak up on us or what? No, I can't see anything. It's just barbed wire and mud and tree sun. I swear to God I heard Fritz talking. They're just a football pitch length away, you know. Let's look. See, I told you. I hear it. You speak German, what are they saying? They must be in their trench. They're eating and talking about a beer festival in Munich. Something about his sister, Lena. <laughs> the wind must be in the right direction or something. Here, Walter, how do you say good evening in German? Guten Abend? Why, George? Don't, George! Hey, Fritzy! Guten Abend, Fritzy! <laughs> Guten Abend, Fritz! <laughs> How do I say, how's your sausage? 
wie ist Ihre Wurst? Hey Fritz, wer, wer ist Ihre Wurst? Meine Wurst ist köstlich, Tommy. Geh nach Hause, Tommy, bevor ich hier rüberkomme und dir deine Wurst abschneide. He says, go home before I come over there and cut off your sausage. Oh, fighting talk. Hey, Walter. I'll tell you what to say, all right? Your sister wanted my big sausage the last time I saw her. Ihre Schwester wollte mein Wurst, als wir uns letztes Mal trafen. Bastard Tommy. Ich schneide die Sonne Oi, what's going on? George, what are you playing at? Shh. Little Len loved my sausage when I met her at the beer festival. Go on, Walt, don't be shy, go on. Klein Lerne liebte mein Wurst, als ich sie auf der Münchner Oktoberfest traf. What the bloody hell's going on here? Shut the fuck up! You bloody fools! Get out of there! Don't you price, you idiot! Yes, Sarge, of course, Sarge. Keep your stupid heads down! Oh, Christ, what am I going to say to the captain about this? Now, Newman, I wouldn't expect that of you. Hitchcock, yes. You know. Sorry, Sarge, it just sort of happened. Heads down! Cover! Cover! George. George. Wait, mate. Are you all right? George? Speak to me. Are you all right? Yeah, I don't know. You tell me. Am I here? I don't think so, mate. Walter? Yeah, he's okay. About the Sarge? Yeah, he's all right. Mad as hell, but all right. It's pricey. Oh, fuck. Oh, pricey. War Diary. December 11th, 1915. Number 17555, Private P.R. Price, B Company, was killed whilst in the trenches. This was the first casualty in the regiment. Yeah, Pricey got it. God, that shell was addressed to him. Thirty seconds earlier, and it would have had Arnhem's on it. But it got Pricey fair and square. Ripped him apart, it did. Like he was just torn in two down the middle. We had to roll up what was left of the poor sod in a waterproof. Everyone's staring at each other, wondering who of us it would be next. Welcome to the bloody war. Right, lads. Put this sap trench back into a perfect state. Old Fritz will not change our steady resolve. Put some back into it, lads. Yes, yes, Sarge. Steady resolve, Sarge. Sarge, can I have a word? What is it, Hitchcock? You don't think they send that shell over because of what we were saying? Hitchcock, if they were that quick and that accurate, we'd all be dead and this war would be over already. But that don't mean what you did wasn't stupid. Now, there'd be a whole lot of Fritzes up on charges today, but you are not to do that again. But you didn't kill Price. The Bosch did that. Now, you and Newman pick up Price and take him back to the communication trench. Come on, Walter, get a grip. He's heavier than you think. Dead weight, isn't it? 
<laughs> Can you smell that, George? Don't pay it no attention, I ain't. Oh, it smells like... Shut the hell up about it. Think about puke. Don't you bloody dare. If you do, I'm gonna <laughs> too. No, water, don't... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our affliction. Father, we are grieving over the unexpected loss of our brother, Private Price. I was fortunate to get to know Private Price during our training in England. Just last Sunday, he was telling me how excited he was to be part of this battalion, to be here with his pals, to be doing something honourable, and that his parents were proud of him. Father, we are mourning the loss of this young man, Yet we know that nothing surprises you. Well, nothing surprises you, old lord. <laughs> Poor flipping Pricey. What a shitter. First day on the front, and he was only 17. Shit. It was like death had him booked him for that day. Then that was it. 24 hours and we were out of there, slopping through that water and mud back to our billets. We didn't linger either, I can tell you. Bit of a quick march. Righto, time for some spirit raising thwaites. Open that large gob of yours and put it to some honest and uplifting use. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Hey, hey, go on then. <laughs> Up to my land and nourishment one day. Oh, As the morning. streets are paved with gold, <laughs> sure everyone was gay. Hey. 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 Square, till Paddy got excited. In episode one of The Bolin Brothers by Jonathan Williamson, George Hancock was played by Robert Bolter, Walter, Jack Christiansen, Henry, Owen Bleach, Tom, Andy Creswell, and Sergeant Moore was played by Paul Moriarty. Frank Jens was played by John Spohr, Captain Keeble and Reverend Westerdale by Justin K. Hayward, Lieutenant Fairweather, Robert Cohen, Private Stag, Dan Greest. Private Price, Peter Walsh. Private Tetmar, Matt Beaumont. The ship's medical officer, Russell Shaw. And the recruitment sergeant, Murray Hecht. Izzy was played by Emma Wingrove and Lieutenant Colonel Papillon by Peter Elliott. Other parts were played by members of the cast. Design and artwork by Giuseppe Lama.
Sound design, Simon Moorhead and Ashley Slater. The associate producer was Beverly Hurl. And the executive producer was Andrew Wanirachi. Technical and historical advisors were Ruri Adam Carnes and Elliot Taylor. The sound engineer was Jake Skinner. Original music was composed by Ashley Slater and based upon the West Ham Pals Battalion March, Knife, Fork, Spoon. Cornets and Tenorhorn, Chris Batchelor, Tuba and Clyde, Jeff Miller, and Trombone, Ashley Slater. The Bolin Brothers was produced by Simon Moorhead. This was a TBC Audio original drama. The end of the 19th century approaches. In England, an aging Queen Victoria is almost at the end of her time on the throne. She rules over an empire that reaches all over the globe. Her England is at the forefront of the Industrial Revolution that is transforming the world. It is a time of hope, a time of excitement, a time to look to the future but perhaps that future will never arrive. Mars has become an inhospitable place, barely capable of sustaining life. The Martians need a new home, and they have set their sights on Earth. But first, they will need to conquer it. These are the first-hand accounts of some of those brave souls that witnessed firsthand the invasion of Earth. Invasion Earth, The Coming of the Martians, by Colin Brake, with Amy Sutton as Anne. Oh, I ain't never seen nothing like it, I told you. He was like the devil himself, only worse. No, really, no word of a lie. No, I ain't been on the source. Well, not before I hadn't. Well, I've had a tot or two since. I do most nights these days. And you would have an all if you'd seen what I saw. Well, you want to know what I saw? Well, if you insist, I'll have a gin then. Wet me whistle, it will. Help me get me thoughts straight too, maybe. <sighs> right, let's have a think. I need to tell this proper so you understand it, right? So I need to go back a bit. Before all what's going on now, back to the proper beginning. You ever look up at the night sky and wonder what you're seeing? All them stars, right? Twinkling in the blackness. Now, you look an educated sort, so you probably know what they are, right? But I can't say as I did. But my friend Mary, she's in service like me, but she don't work for a family. She works for this posh geezer who lives on his tod. His name's Stent, I think. And he's a very important person, straight up. He's got this fancy title and all. He's officially the Astronomer Royal. Yeah, I can see you're impressed. I know I was when Mary first told me of her new position. I said to her, blimey, fancy you working for royalty. Because well, you would, wouldn't you? But that's where I got it wrong, see? He's not the royal astronomer, he's the astronomer royal. You've got to get the words in the right order, so she says. Because he ain't royal himself, but he's appointed by the Queen. He's like her personal astronomer, you see? 
And that's when I made my second mistake. Now, what do you think about when you hear the word astronomer? Yeah, me too. I think about the gypsy lady at the fair with her crystal ball and all that tosh about being born on the cusp of Taurus with Gemini rising. Fortune tellers. Star signs. As if, like. <laughs> I mean, fair play. It must be a nice little learner if you're good with the theatricals. Ask a few questions, make a few vague statements about difficult choices ahead or good luck being just round the corner or meeting a tall, dark stranger. And before you know it, you're up an handful of silver and the punter goes off happy as Larry, thinking that his or her miserable life is about to change and that things are going to turn out all right. <sighs> going to take more than a silver coin to make our future bright after all this, I reckon. After what I saw. Oh, but I'm getting ahead of myself again, ain't I? Sorry. Anyway, so that's why I said to Mary, what, Queen Vic has her own bloke to tell her fortunes? And Mary just laughed at me and called me a stupid moo, which I thought was a bit much... Because she's had as much schooling as I have, so she's not exactly in a position to look down her nose at my ignorance. But apparently this Mr Stent, the what's-it royal, he's taken a shine to our Mary and he's been teaching her a thing or two. Yeah, I know. That's what I thought and all. And Mary went bright red when she said it, so I reckon I might have been right. But whether they was at it or not, he has taught her a thing or two. Pillow talk, perhaps. Best not to pry. And the one thing she made really clear was that what he did was nothing to do with star signs. Them fortune tellers, that's something called astrology, apparently, and it's not science, it's just mumbo-jumbo. What he does is astronomy, which is a science, and it's about stars and planets and stuff like that. So Mary's on one now and she starts giving me a little lesson. Them stars we see at night, apparently most of them are other suns, just like our sun. But so far away, they look just like pinpoints. And not all of the stars are actually stars. Some of them are planets, like planet Earth. You've probably heard of some of them. Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, yeah? Planets like our Earth, all going round our sun. Now, Mary told me that a few months back, Mr Stent started seeing strange things on Mars. He works at the observatory, you know, up in Greenwich? And they've got this big telescope thing that lets him look at things that are a long way away. And there's blokes doing this all over the world, sitting all night staring at the sky. I know, right? The things some people do, eh? So apparently, there's been some odd stuff happening on old Mars for a few years now. Some bloke in Italy saw it first, I think she said. An unusual light flaring in one part of the disk of Mars. Like the glow you get in the sky above one of those factory towns in the north, so they say. But that strange light was just the beginning. Then astronomers all over the globe started reporting bursts of flaming gas firing from the surface of the planet out into space and towards us here on planet Earth. Every night for ten nights there was one of these events and the experts got all of a quiver and started arguing over what it was. Some said it was volcanoes, like we get on down here, but much more powerful and explosive because of the different gases in the Martian atmosphere. Oh no, don't ask me, I'm just telling you what he told her. I'm not sure I really understand a word of it either. Mary was the same, so Stent tried to make it simple. He said it was a bit like a cannon or a big gun firing, but a bigger gun than was ever cast in any foundry on Earth. So Mary says to Stent, if it was a cannon, what kind of shot was it firing? But he didn't answer her question, just scoffed and chuckled to himself. Can you believe it? I think it's a fair enough question, don't you? But he shook his head and he told her not to worry. He said it was a metaphorical cannon, not a real one. He said it was to put a picture in her head. 
He didn't think for an instant anything like a cannon could have been made on Mars because nothing like human life could exist out there. Which shows what he knows, eh? Because things were launched from Mars on those nights, weren't they? Like that thing that landed near here on Horsell Common just three nights ago. Did you see it? I did. It was a falling star, like out of a fairy tale. Bright light tearing across the early dawn sky, leaving a trail of flame in its wake. The papers called it a meteorite, so I heard. Apparently they're quite common, bits of rock and stuff floating around in space that fall to Earth. And as they fall, they get hot and burn, and that's what we see as falling stars. Stent told Mary they're called meteoroids, but if they survive intact and reach the ground, they get called meteorites. So that's what this thing was. It came down low over Winchester and headed northeast and finally reached the ground at the common about 30 miles out from the city. Must have been moving at a fair lick. The impact could be heard for miles and it sent up a huge cloud of dust that they say you could see from Windsor. And it was hot too. Hot enough to set the ether on the common aflame and it burnt for hours. Thank heavens it didn't get any further. Can you imagine the damage it would have caused if it had reached the city? There would have been so many deaths and injuries. I don't bear thinking about. But luckily, if that's the word given the circumstances, it came down on the common near the sand pits. I didn't go and look that first day, but Harry the sweet stuff dealer sent his lad to have a look and see what the crowd was like, and he told me what he saw. He said it was a giant metal object almost totally buried in the sand at the bottom of a huge crater. All that could be seen was a cylinder sticking out from the bulk of the object that had landed, itself 30 yards across. It was still hot and it creaked with strange sounds as the metal cooled. It was covered with black and soot and that's how the boy saw the first movement. This ashy crust started to fall off at the circular edge. The boy realised then it wasn't some random chunk of space rock. It was a made, shaped object, and it was opening. The top of the cylinder was revolving slowly, unscrewing. Something inside the object was trying to get out. But then it stopped. There was a thin circle of bright metal visible between the main body of the cylinder and the top that had been moving. But all was silent. No more movement, no more sounds from within. Well, a few hours later, there was quite a crowd down there and Harry had sent his lad back there with a barrow and he was doing a roaring trade selling green apples and ginger beer to everybody. Mary's employee, Stent, had been sent for and he was taking charge of the scene, ordering half a dozen men with shovels who were digging out the rest of the object that had fallen. By the time I arrived, you could see that the cylinder was just part of some much larger metallic object, the bulk of which was still buried deep in the ground. I marvelled at the thought of how large it must be in total and realised that at its widest, it must have been as wide as the crater it had formed. I'm no judge of distances, but I've seen a football pitch and the crater was at least as wide as a football pitch is long. Whatever had been sent through space from Mars was as big as a palace, I reckoned. I wondered what it might contain. And I wish I hadn't, because I was about to find out. I'd managed to squeeze through the crowd to the very edge of the crater... Stent had some men from a local battalion helping with to keep the crowd from getting too close. But I flashed a young artillery man a smile and he let me get as close as any. So I was in a prime spot to see what happened. And I wish to God that I hadn't. There was a sudden commotion near the cylinder itself and sharp cries of alarm. A lad who'd been helping with the digging ran up and past me, his face as pale as the moon. 
He was mumbling something about it moving and I suppose he was referring to the top of the cylinder because when I cast my eyes back in that direction, I could see the circular top turning and I could hear the clanging noises of movement from within. And suddenly the top came clear and fell off to one side with a mighty clout. A circle of darkness, like the mouth of hell itself, was now on top of the cylinder. I don't know what anyone there expected to see emerge from that black hole. A man, perhaps? Or at least something like a man? There was a cloud of mist, as if some gas had been released from below. And then through the mist, a shape. At first it looked like a thin snake, no bigger than a walking stick, but curving and coiling. And then it emerged further, and it became thicker as more of this thing could be seen. The first tentacle, for that was what it looked like, was joined by another, and then a third... There were cries of horror and shock from all around and I could sense people all around me scrambling backwards, but my feet were frozen. I couldn't take my eyes off the creature that was appearing. The body was grey and covered in a skin like leather but wet, like that of a seal or a sea lion. Two large eyes were sunk in what must have been its head, a rounded mass above the main body. A wide, lipless mouth quivered and dripped with a thick liquid that hissed and sparked where it fell like acidic saliva. The whole thing moved, labouring like a man trying to catch his breath after running a race. The tentacles swayed above and around it, their movements heavy and clumsy. I've never seen anything so... alien in all my born days, and I never wish to again. Slowly... Painfully, it pulled itself clear of the opening in the cylinder and then with a sudden movement it fell to the ground. A horrendous cry emerged from its grotesque mouth and a moment or two later, a second creature began to emerge. It was then that I finally managed to get my legs to work. I turned and ran, the mass of the crowd having already fled the scene. And behind me, I heard a man scream and fall. He cried out for help, but a moment later there was a thud and he made no more sound. I dared not look back to discover his fate. Now that was my first sight of a Martian. No one who's ever seen one of those foul creatures face to face will ever forget it. But that horror, that first sight, that was just the beginning. We had no way of knowing at that moment, but that was the start of it all the beginning of the invasion of Earth. You have been listening to Invasion Earth, The Coming of the Martians by Colin Brake, with Amy Sutton as Anne. The producer was Simon Moorhead. This was a TBC Audio original drama. And that's the show this week. Please give us your thoughts as we round the corner to the last two weeks that are coming up before we make the leap to the new Mutual Audio Network. Tell us your thoughts at sonicsociety at gmail.com. Are you as excited as we are? I know I am. 
And Jack, you said last week that I should check in with you this week. Are you caught up with your Nazarim goals? Uh, I wish I could tell you, David, but we're out of time. Let's try again next week. Until then, <laughs> that's when we meet the dead and the dying. I'm Jack Ward. And I'm both David Alt and very well aware of a very well-placed dodge. Good night, all. Night, everyone. Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Hi, this is John Bell. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. In my podcast, Bells in the Battery, I usually surpass a thousand words. Why does he? But for every episode, there is also a picture. You mean the itty-bitty picture that you see when you bring up the episode? Yes, that's called a thumbnail. They're drawn on thumbnails? But now you can see all the thumbnail pictures in large format by going to the Bells in the Bat Free Gallery. Just go online to thebatfree.com. That's T-H-E-B-A-T-F-R-Y dot com. And click on gallery. That's G-A-L-L-E. I think they can figure that out. You'll see all the pictures for all the episodes that were created by Jeff Music, along with other guest artists like the Lavalie Brothers and famous animation director Dan Reba. Well, he knows one celebrity, and he really wants you to know about it. You'll also see lots of fan art over the years and a few surprises so when you're in the mood for a picture instead of a thousand words especially his words go to thebatfree.com and click on gallery and be sure to clean your thumbnails before viewing